we're going to continue to worship the Lord God as we hear the scripture and hear it proclaimed. If you open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, verses 14 through 37, I'm about to be reading from. All People's Church has been going through the last year. We took a break and did Ephesians, but we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And we're here toward the end. And just a little recap from last week. Jesus talked about the disciples. Jesus was, this is the Passion Week, leading up to the cross and the resurrection. And Jesus is teaching in the temple. And the disciples ask Jesus, oh, wow, they, they comment really, this, the temple, it's beautiful. And Jesus says, all right, not one stand, stone is going to stand on top of another. And he's foretelling the judgment. And so the disciples ask him about this, and he starts talking about the days are, that are going to come, the destruction of the temple, the war with the Romans in 70 A.D., and last week we talked about how Jesus warns he wants to prepare his followers for three things, for false teaching, for trials, and for persecution. And something that Jesus' followers then needed, Christians throughout history need, and we need today. And it's going to continue in that theme, and he's going to look a little further. He's going to look more specifically at the destruction of the temple. He's going to look at the coming at the very end of what we call the Antichrist. And he's looking at the end. So I don't usually preach every week on the end times, just so, you're saying, just so you know, visitors. All people's church, you can ask them. They know that I don't as well. But uh, this is the text that we have, and we love God's word, and it has something to say to each one of us today. So verse 14 through 37 of Mark. Jesus continues, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that it may not happen in winter. For though in those days there will be such tribulation as had not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, 
from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, awesome. A little background for us. Jesus says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. This term, abomination of desolation, is no doubt taken from Daniel 9, 27, 11:31, and 12:11. There, Daniel prophesied about the Seleucid ruler, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. Some of you may know that name. Some of you, that might be just a weird old name to you. Uh, after Alexander the Great conquered much of the known world, his kingdom was split up into four generals. Seleucus, what became the Seleucid Empire. And Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, was in that line. And in the book of Daniel, it prophesies very specifically, it's the most specific prophecy I think there is in the Bible, of what's going to happen in the coming hundreds of years after this time of exile, where the Jews are in exile. And he prophesies what's going to happen, including what this guy, Antioch Epiphanes, was going to do. This man uh, desecrated the Jewish temple in 168 B.C. by erecting a small altar dedicated to Zeus over the altar of burnt offering, upon which he sacrificed swine and made execution the punishment for if you practice Judaism. This man was the abomination of desolation, this event. It's not hard to see, though, why Jesus takes this phrase in Daniel and he uses it here to talk about what's going to happen in future events. And as it does much in much places of the Bible, we'll talk about this, there are layers to prophecy and at this pivotal events that are going to happen in redemption history. So let's dive in there and look at what Jesus is talking about. And... The first point that I want to see that Jesus is making for us, for us to take with us, is that we should flee evil. First point is that we should flee evil. And we see this in verses 14 through 23. Verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The dominant theme of this verse is the command to flee, to leave, to escape. The early Jerusalem church 
after Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit, the birth of the church, was, went through a lot, but it thrived. God was working, and the gospel went out. It went out to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And much of this we see in what happened in the early church in Jerusalem, we see happen in the book of Acts. In 66 through 67 AD, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem made a mass exodus. We know this from history from the early church father Eusebius, who in the third century, he tells us that the Jewish Christians, heeding this prophecy here that we read, in 66, 67 AD, they saw the signs, they saw what was happening, the Roman legions and war and conflict, wars, rumors of wars, and they left Jerusalem. They left and they went to the mountains to a city called Pella. They heeded Jesus' words. In 68 AD also, as the Jewish historian Josephus, who was an eyewitness to the events that happened in the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, saw the fulfillment of Daniel also when a group of zealots during this crazy, chaotic time in history, uh, this group of Jewish zealots, they were kind of like, uh, in one sense, terrorists um, who were wanting to just kick the Romans out, um, but use any means possible to do that. Uh, they moved into the temple itself and allowed criminals to walk freely in the Holy of Holies. And they committed murder in the temple. Josephus sees this as a possibility of this abomination of desolation happening in his day, in this period. The siege of Jerusalem in AD 70 was the decisive event in this Jewish-Roman war. And the Roman army, led by future Emperor Titus, besieged Jerusalem. And after a five-month siege, the Romans destroyed the city and the temple. According to Josephus, who served in the army of the Jewish army before being captured, he's the main source again of this that we know about this. The siege was ravaged by, uh, the city was ravaged by murder, by famine, and by cannibalism. Jesus picks up this phrase, the abomination of desolation, and he's looking forward and showing, all right, this is what's going to happen. These images, these concepts that foretell these future events. And like many prophecies in scripture, there are multiple layers of fulfillment. And I believe that this section will fulfill these events in 66 and 70 AD, just around 30 years after Jesus' ascension. He's foretelling this future event, but as well, a layer of prophecies telling about a later future event at the very end times when there's going to be this antichrist-type figure. And he's wanting to encourage all of us, the church throughout the ages, how to live our lives as we're waiting for the return of the king. So, Jewish Christians heeded this sign, these prophecies in here, and they left. They left. It's amazing. In 2 Thessalonians, which our brother Andrew uh, read for us earlier, 
this phrase that we get, let the reader understand, or excuse me, uh, where he's standing where he ought not. In 2 Thessalonians, it's talking about this man of lawlessness, this antichrist type figure being seated in the temple of God. And uh, different scholars will take different things on this. Again, we're talking about the end times, so we're going to have to uh, be generous in our interpretation of it. Uh, the end times, uh, it's imperfect, or it's, it's, um, it's, we need to know God's truth. It's important, excuse me, it's important. But we also, there are layers to the truth where this is a, what we say, is it a primary issue? Is it a secondary? It's probably more of a third, a tertiary issue. And so we might have different interpretations on it, and that's all right. Some might think this is a literal temple that's being rebuilt. I more think that it's, it's the New Testament church. It's the church. In the New Testament, the temple of God, in six places, it either refers to the temple of God or the household of God or the building of God. Six times is it showing to the church, to the New Testament church, believers. As it does in 2 Corinthians 16, do you not know that the temple of God... That you are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells within you. So I think because of that, that's what it's talking about here. Let's go on. Verses 15 through 16. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. So I give all this background information just for us to understand. To put our minds in Jewish Christians during that time. To think, all right, hey, here's the picture of uh, the, the roof of people's house at that time would have been, during the summer, would have, would have functioned kind of like as another floor where people would have gone up and, and lived. And he says, all right, if you're caught up there, just go. Just go. Don't go down to take all your possessions. You know, it's kind of like we would if your house is on fire. Don't grab what's most valuable to you. Grab your kids, grab yourself, and go. That's the same thing that Jesus is saying here. Verse 17 through 18. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. It's going to be a time of hardship, of difficulty. As you can imagine, as I described, these events of 68 through 70, they were. And Jesus has compassion on those who that would make pregnancy and nursing is already difficult in of itself. During the winter in Israel, also rivers might flood and then you'd be able to cross them and this actually happened to Jewish people in 68 AD uh, there were rivers that fled and they weren't able to escape then the encroaching Roman army verses 19 through 20 for in those days there will be much tribulation as not has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be and if the Lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. At the very end of times, before Jesus' second coming, it's going to be again a time of tribulation, of trials. God, as we see, like we see in the book of Revelation, is going to be pouring out his judgment on unbelievers, on an unbelieving world that's rejected him. And that we see here described. But there's encouragement for us that God has a chosen people and he's going to see us through. Verses 21 through 23. 
And if then anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. As they did, as they have throughout history, and we talked about this last week, there have been false Christs. People have said that they're, they're this new incarnation of Jesus. There will be false teachers. And... Jesus warns them ahead of time. So when you see this happen, you say, all right, hey, Jesus warned me. Okay, I'm not going to follow him. And this is what is so good about that we have to know Scripture, right? To know the Bible, to know the truth for ourselves. He says that the, these figures will be able to even perform supernatural signs. And again, it's saying, all right, we need to know Scripture, the Bible, God's truth, Paul writes in one of his letters, he's like, if, if someone gives you a different gospel, Galatians, don't, I don't care if an angel even told him, don't believe him. If they say something crazy that doesn't line up with the gospel, don't believe it. And that's the same thing for us. That's why we need to know the 66 book love letter that Christ has given us, his word. And saying that this is going to be difficult, it's going to test even the elect, it says, God's people. But there's a mercy here. There's compassion. He said, all right, it's going to try. But he's, all right, he's shortened the days, so it's not going to be too hard for God's people. All right? It's, it's, he's, he's not going to, he's going to provide. He's going to protect his people. We talked about this last week. God, no one could snatch my people out of the Father's hands, Jesus says, John 10. And that's the same thing. But he says, be on guard. When you see these things happen, be on guard. Knowing that this is going to happen. Jesus' warnings are the means by which God's chosen people, his church, believers, can remain steadfast. We can wait patiently. We can watch patiently. This is way of preserving God's chosen people as we encourage to flee evil. We have this encouragement from God. And let's, let's take this and, and apply it now a little bit more to our context. We ourselves can flee evil. 2 Timothy 2.22, it says this. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on God from a pure heart. So we can flee evil, brothers and sisters. We can pursue righteousness, faith, love in the midst of trials. Whatever the trials that you have in your life. No matter what you're going through right now or might go through. Proverbs 4 says the same thing. He says, all right, don't enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil, but avoid it. Do not go to it. Turn away from it and pass on. Let's be real. We always, all of us, we're incredibly sinful people. God has changed us. Right? We're not the people we used to be, but we, we start to wander off, right? But as we, if we realize that we're starting to walk down one of those paths, 
we can come to and realize that and get on the right path. God gives us grace, power to do that, forgiveness. We're clean before him. If there's any known sin in your life, believer, that you need to repent of, do so today. God is knocking at your door to do so today. He opens his hands to you, arms wide open. Jesus wants his followers to watch and wait patiently in the hope of his return. So first of all, we need to flee evil. Second, remember the king's return. Remember the king's return. Verses 24 through 27. Reading this passage, it's like, oh man, wow, this is heavy. This is big stuff. And I think that's right where he, Jesus tells us right here. He's all right. There's good news. I'm going to come back. The king's going to return. We could be prone to, oh, there's discouragement. Oh, no, there's this antichrist. You know, when Jesus comes back, I don't know if you've read it, Revelation 19, it talks about this. When Jesus comes back, all he does is he opens his mouth. And the word of his mouth is what destroys the Antichrist and all the armies of heaven. Like, there's not even a battle. You see, all the armies in Revelation 19 are arrayed against God. And then Jesus just shows up and he just, the sword comes from his mouth and they're just, they're all, they're all gone, obliterated. You know, it's no problem. God could do whatever he wants with Satan and all of evil with just the smallest part of his little pinky finger. So we t- should take great courage and comfort that God is sovereign. He's king over everything. I think this is why Jesus puts these words right here. In verse 24, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and when they see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven Jesus goes right into here and now he turns to this Old Testament very apocalyptic language speaks of these climactic events that are going to happen right before he comes back and I think similarly, a passage to it is in 2 Peter 3. Peter writes very similarly to Jesus. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's unexpected. We don't know when it is. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day of the coming of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 26 talks about we're going to see the Son of Man coming in clouds, glory and great power. Again, this is taken from the book of Daniel, Daniel 7. This picture, this messianic picture of Jesus coming. God's people are going to be vindicated. Jesus is going to conquer evil. He came as the meek, sacrificial lamb. But when he comes back in his second coming, he's coming as a conquering lion. 
everyone will see him how, for how majestic and beautiful and worthy and glorious he is. That's something we can look forward to. We can live in light of. He has the victory. Verse 27, And he will send out all the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The people of God, Jesus' followers, will also find victory in him. The elect, those chosen by God from the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4 says, will be gathered. They will have covered the whole earth. What a beautiful picture of what we see in Acts in Matthew 28. That every tribe, nation, language, people, and tongue are going to be gathered to God. Ultimately, believers will never stand on the wrong side of history. Jesus is coming back and he's going to raise his people from the dead to reign with him in heaven with everlasting life. But it's like this. It's like uh, when you watch the Super Bowl. You watch the Super Bowl and you see which team wins. And maybe you liked it, the result. Maybe you didn't like the result. But you had a lot of fun because you were with your friends and you were eating and maybe the, uh, the advertisements were funny. But you go back two weeks later and you're like, oh, I want to watch that game again. That was a good game. And you go to the DVR and you watch the Super Bowl again. But you're watching it and you're not as tense or stressed out. You know, I don't know about you, but when I watch anything, I just start to, oh, what's going to happen? Who's going to win? What, are they going to mess up? Are they going to fumble? Whatever. But you're watching again the second time, you're not stressed out. You know what's going to happen. Friends, we can wait and watch for Jesus, knowing what's going to happen. He has the final say. He has the victory. So we can li live our lives now that we know the result. We know the end score. Jesus comes back. He puts everything right. We can live with that. Prepare we can flee evil. We can also remember the king's going to return. We can remember, secondly, the king's going to return. The third thing we can do is we can mind the signs. We can mind the signs. Verse 28 through 31. Jesus then gives them this little parable, this little picture from everyday life. From the fig tree, learn its lesson, Jesus says. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Jesus gives us this picture. It'd be like a Midwesterner saying that in the fall, once you see the leaves are changing color and the leaves are starting to fall, then, all right, um, cold Chicago winter is around the corner. <laughs> right? It's going to happen. An icy Chicago winter. It's coming. Once you see those, those leaves changing. So that's what he's saying. When you see these signs take place, you know the end is coming. Verses 29 and 30. So when you see these things take place, he is near at the very gate. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until... All these things take place. Personally, and you can disagree with me here, 
And that's, uh, I think, totally fine. But I think too much can be made of this, this verse. I think the signs we see in verses 14 through 23, the coming of the Antichrist, the final tribulation, the judgment, then that, that generation is going to be the one that experiences it. That's my simple, straightforward reading of it. There are different interpretations, though, that are valid. Jesus gives us these words, verse 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, God, Jesus' words came true. His prophecy of the judgment of the temple, it came true. It was destroyed. God brought judgment on the Jewish people because they rejected his son. They rejected his son who loved and died for them. And then again, there will be people who reject him. But he's saying, all right, my words will happen. They will, God is in control. He's going to preserve his people. His people are going to be able to be preserved. He's going to keep his people. And he, know, and he t- says this, that we know when this happens, when we're experiencing this, we can know, all right, hey, this is what happened. He said it would. So our God is true. He's faithful. As a, a phrase that I say, and our brother Danny, I've heard him say too. He say, all right, God is in control. He's, he's doing these things for our good and for his glory. For our good and for his glory. God's in control. So how can we apply this to our lives? How can we mind the signs? And I think we have to be careful here. I think there's been much damage uh, has done throughout history of people who have said that, all right, Jesus is coming back now for sure. I've seen the signs and I know Jesus is coming back now. And so they did foolish things like selling their homes or liquidating all their assets, emptying their retirement funds. They've refused to have children because they thought the tribulation is about to occur. Now, I don't think we need to do that. I don't think we see that through the rest of the Bible. Jesus says that when this Antichrist type figure, this man of lawlessness appears, it's going to be abundantly clear. It's going to be abundantly clear. We don't need to look for him under the rock of every just political figure. Oh, is the end is here. We don't need to do that. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be obvious. And now, as throughout the New Testament it says, throughout the Bible it says, we're to live as exiles who want the benefit of the city. What is, we're exiles now. We're waiting for Jesus to come back, right? Amen? In Jeremiah, he says to the exiles, he says, all right, you know what you should do? Get married. Work jobs. Have kids. Promote the, for the benefit of the city. This city where you don't want to be, where you're exiles in, that they don't love God. All right, work for the benefit of it. Love your neighbor well. In the New Testament, you see this whole thing too. Live missionally. Love God. Love others. Live normal lives in the quietness of godliness. Paul uses language like that. In submission to the governing authorities. Right? So we mind the signs. Yes. But we know that Jesus is king. So what does watch and wait mean for us? Watch and wait means, for another phrase, I think that... Paul talks about and Peter talks about in the New Testament to be sober-minded, to be level-headed, to be clear-minded. 
Keep loving Him. Keep the faith. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Stay on mission. So mind the signs. Why? Because as we are prepared for trials, as we look forward patiently to Jesus' promise and victorious return. We're wrapping up here. Stay awake. I know it's hot. And that's the last message also here. The last point. Stay awake. Verse 32 through 37. Stay awake. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There's a mystery right here of the dual natures of Christ, I think. Christ in His humanity, He doesn't know. He didn't know on earth. So you're not going to know on earth. Be skeptical of people who say, Oh, I know Jesus is coming back. People have thought that in every generation for 2,000 years. And they were wrong. So be skeptical of it. The Son doesn't even know. we got to hold this in balance. Of Jesus could come back any day, but also... All right, with a day, a thousand years is like a day, and one day is like a thousand years. <laughs> All right? We have to hold this in balance. But like in verse 33, I think the answer is vigilance. It's watchfulness. Not to stop living your life, but to live in light of this glorious king that we do have. To be ready for trials. To be, keep following him as disciples. Be on guard, he says. Keep awake, verse 33. For you do not know when the time will come. You don't know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master will come, in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, so 2,000 years ago, I don't know if some of you knew that, but they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have phones. They didn't even have email. So when the master leaves, right, he goes to travel far away, he's not able to email or call and say, hey, just to let you know, I'm coming back tomorrow. So how embarrassing is it when the master comes back and you're wanting to do good by your boss, like the place is a mess. You had a party, your friends were over there, maybe your friends were doing something they shouldn't have been doing, and you're like, oh, my boss just walks in the door. Not good. Not good, right? So, that's what Jesus is saying. Stay ready. Know that he could come back anytime. But this is something we should look forward to with anticipation. What does it mean for us to stay awake? For us, that Jesus doesn't find us sleeping. I want to address any people in the room who maybe don't know Jesus. Maybe even you've lived and grown up in the church for a long time. You're religious. This text reminds us in sobering words that there is a final day of judgment coming. There is a reckoning for all our deeds. And if you're like me... My deeds aren't going to match up to even my own values, my own beliefs, my own convictions, let alone the values and the high standard of God. 
And so Jesus is coming back. Have you turned from living in sin? Have you turned from your own selfishness and turned to follow him and trusted in him? Not just a nominal church-going relationship, not just a relationship with God based on your family or your own church experience, but have you trusted in Jesus yourself? That he's a friend of sinners. Jesus' arms of love and acceptance because of his work, not your work, is there for you. To rest in that. What about you, church? Are we sleeping? Instead of being prepared and living holy lives, as Peter talks about, are we keeping awake? Are we slipping into spiritual lethargy? Are we used to just business as usual church, just going through it? Are we going to be ready for when that next hardship or trial comes at us? Because I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I'm always either going in a trial, just got through a trial, or I'm about to go through a trial. Are we looking forward to the promise of his return? Now, I think there's two ditches on the narrow way that we need to avoid here uh, this passage. We need to avoid on one side, one ditch, uh, spiritual sleepiness and apathy. And on the other one, we need to avoid fear-mongering, anxiety, ah, seeing the Antichrist, like I said, in every governmental leader. Ah, look, at, look, at our, look at where things are going. Ah, Living a life out of fear rather than faith. So I think we need to avoid both of those. And most of us, myself included, are like the disciples. Right? Jesus' best friends, his closest followers. Jesus asked them in a few days from this time that we read about today. He said, guys, come here. Pray with me. The end is, the end is close, guys. Come and pray with me. And he takes three of his best buddies with him. And he says, please pray for me. I'm troubled. They've never seen Jesus like this. He's sweating tears of blood. And he says, come pray with me. Stay awake. And what do they do? They fall asleep. In the garden, he finds them sleeping. And he goes, Simon, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, he says, but the flesh is weak. And again he went and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And again, he said, they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking no rest? And this was Jesus' best and closest disciples. We're the same, right? I'm the same. We find ourselves asleep at the steering wheel of our lives. Not ready for the trials. Not ready for this evil that happens. We're not living holy lives like we should. We don't love our neighbor as we should. We're selfish. We fall desperately short of God's glory of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But cheer up. Jesus stayed awake for you. Not for a second did he close his eyes in spiritual lethargy. 
He died to fully save his chosen people. Yes, we keep on holding on to Christ, but when you fall asleep, you'll find that Jesus is holding on to you the whole time. Jude, one of my favorite passages, I'll say it at the very end as a benediction. It says, He who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you pure and blameless before God. He's the one who's able to keep us pure. He's the one. He's going to hold on to us. You can be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. You can hold on to him, church, because you, he is holding on to you. He was on guard. He stayed awake in the garden. He never for a split second gave in to sin. He lived a perfect life his whole life. He never lost control. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word of salvation to those who believe will not pass away. He did all of the Father's will. He was the good and perfect servant, staying awake just as the Master had asked him. He was the only faithful servant in all of God's house. He was faithful to the end, to death on a cross, in your place, in my place. He never had to repent. Never. Even now, he is faithfully watching you. He's faithfully waiting on your behalf, interceding to the Father on your behalf, showing his wounds and saying, forgive them, preserve them. When you feel yourself falling into spiritual lethargy, remember that he lived and died for you. He paid the price for your redemption, church. Wipe the sleep from your eyes and see your loving Savior who gave his all for you. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, let the promise and light of his appearing, his love for you, stir you to endure, to do good, brothers, as you wait for his glorious appearing. Let this gospel, this truth that Christ loves you, that was good for you, be like your spiritual energy drink, be like your caffeine that you take every day, your daily nourishment, this gospel, a steady diet, of this gospel to nourish your soul, to keep you alert, active, vigilant, and a heart burning for him. I pray that the band, I ask that the band would come forward now as we continue to worship God. But as they do that, know again that we are prepared for trials. As we look patiently to Jesus' promised coming, we can watch and wait patiently for him. We can flee evil. We can remember that the king is going to return. We can mind the signs. And we can stay awake. Why? Because Jesus will return in victory over his people. Amen. Amen. Amen.